This is the Life Therapy with Zeta podcast. I'm Zeta. Hello and welcome to episode four of Conversations with Ourselves. Today we are in conversation with the founder-owner of Ariatu PR, Ronke Loal. It's such a beautiful name, you really have to pause and give it its due. And like the name, the woman herself is quite a beautiful and extraordinary force. All the more so for her vulnerability, her openness, her integrity, authenticity. She was inspiring to me for her willingness to share about the conflict of being. In a world where we are bombarded with information of who we should be, how we should be, how we should identify ourselves, how we should behave or what we should and should not do, it was refreshing for someone to say, I find difficulty with this. Admirable, noble, the sign of a great leader. So without further ado, I shall let this lady speak for herself and I hope you will enjoy the conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. Thank you for listening. Hi, Ronke. Hello. It's really lovely to have you here. You've been bringing your infectious smile and laugh since you came through the door. It's fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, actually, to backtrack a little, you came in on this wonderful note about being Nigerian Mm. and style and conforming. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, let's quick, quick, turn the tape Nigerians, we love we love our style. We, we always have to match. You have to have matching shoes, matching bag, matching uh, everything. And even in special occasions, everything has to kind of have a colour code to some degree. Mm. But even outside of special occasions, I feel like there's a level of you have to present yourself, put your best foot forward. And growing up here, being born here, it was it went beyond that because you always had to follow fashion. Right. And so... I wasn't always able to afford certain fashion things, so fashion labels. So when I was in school, none of my trainers had name brands at all. But the time I was able to afford them, so maybe in uh, sixth form, it almost didn't matter. It was weird because I didn't really care. I, I cared, but I didn't care. I didn't care enough to try and find the money to afford like the best fashion labels or anything. But I was conscious that people used to kind of tease a little bit like set, make, make little kind of comments about what I was wearing but I was always so focused on getting my grades and just being a friendly person I was I was blessed because I have that personality that enables me to even be friends with people who might not necessarily look like they ought to be my friend so even the people who aren't that trend if I'm not that trendy well back then I wasn't that trendy so you know now I think I'm, I've got the swag <laughs> The trendier people would still be my friends, despite the fact that I was, I didn't always look correct, as we'd say. But it's, it's interesting <laughs> because, it, as I remember from growing up and being at school with uh, Nigerians, um, was that there was a, such a strong emphasis on you've got to do well in school. Yeah. How you dress was the last thing See? on your list. This is it. This is the, this is the balance of. So this is the only thing I knew from home. Because, you know, my mum couldn't afford it. She couldn't afford it. She couldn't afford it. So the only thing I knew from home was get the grades. And I'm sure, like, as you've just said, a lot of Nigerians would say the same. But then when you move into, you know, environments and atmospheres where there's lots of different people and that one common factor is, you know, what trainers are you wearing? What's your label? You know, what what coat is that? Where is that? Especially when, you know, secondary school is uniformed. But the thing that would make you stand out was the shoes, the trainers, the coat, you know, X, Y, Z. But you're right. You know, it was about the grades. And I think that's probably what I kept, I held on to beyond anything else. So even to this day, even though I, you know, I could, I, I, I love fashion, but I also love being, you know, standing in your own authenticity Absolutely. and not following trends. I don't, I've got a thing about, and it could be the childhood kind of, oh, running away from people just teasing about my my nameless, you know, no brand trainers, but I just, I do my best not to follow trends. Well, also, I mean, I think it's, uh, 
it's a sign of a kind of a weak mind to be that influenced by the name that is written on your sneaker. You can be, as my mother used to say, led astray too easily if that's what's important mm. to you. But the individuality of not going with all of the sheep is what sets you apart in future years, particularly as an entrepreneur. You know, and... And this is when you, you just said something, it's kind of like got me all kind of <sighs> shaken. It, stepping into my individuality is something I've been fearful of. Mm. So, and this is where I used to wonder, even when I was younger, I, sh- I should probably try harder to afford those trainers or save my money or try and fit in a bit more. But it, it, in me, I have never been, just authentically, I've never been the person to follow, you know, the flock. Right. But I'm always a... Fr- it's so weird. It's not. It's probably not going to make any sense. I'm always afraid of that part of me that's, that 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 stands outside the conformist circle because it almost suggests that I'm arrogant. Like, who do I think I am? <laughs> you know, even if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm successful. Who do I think I am that I shouldn't want to be part of that circle, or I shouldn't want to be like everybody else because of you know my background and. You know, my story isn't so dissimilar to a lot of other, you know, first, second generation Nigerians. And yet I'm out here standing out and being myself. It's a little tiny voice. This is probably the first time I've ever admitted this openly that kind of tries to kind of keep me, you know, Ronke, just, you should probably just simmer down because you're, you're standing out too much. Interesting. Which is quite a Protestant mm. mindset. Which is, you know, that if you put your head above the, uh, you stuck out, you might get your head chopped off. So be like everybody else to be safe. Mm. But leadership, and this is something I see so often with female leaders who are just on the cusp of really embracing their role as leaders, Mm -hmm. not just in their own lives, but leaders of others, is this, oh, should I go out there? My heart calls me there. But there's some small part that says, Mm-mm, no, stay back here. Mm. Um, it's like the story of the crab in the bucket. Do you know this story? Tell me the story. So it's, it's like you have a bucket full of crabs. Yeah. And one crab manages to get out and rescue <laughs> the others. And the other like, no, 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 come back in here, come yeah, back in yeah. here. But if that crab who's trying to get out stays in, they all end up in the pot yeah, they cooked yeah, for dinner. Yeah, yeah. But if that crab gets out, that crab has a chance to then use its claw to help the others get out. Oh, that's beautiful. That is the, yeah. 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 So take your calling. <laughs> and, it, I, and, I, and, I, and I do, and you know, I, I do, but, I, but it's there, it exists. And I feel like whilst I'm taking that, you know, I'm, I'm stepping into my truth and I'm the, the, the more visible or the more you know, it's not even genuine because I'm always genuine, but the more unique and just, I am, I'm wrong here, I'm just here. There's this fear because you just, I pick up, I pick up on those little comments a little bit more. So like you say, it's, I love that story. When the crabs are dragging you, dragging the crab back down into the bucket, I pick up on those little words, those little things that people say where I'm like, I should probably just ignore, but I'm like, oh, what are they trying to say by saying that thing? What are they trying to say when they ask you that question? Because the question is so, it, it feels loaded to me because the question is loaded with, oh, Ronke, you know, yeah, you, you, you look really busy online recently or, or I don't know, it's, it's difficult to put my finger on it, but there's these loaded. And so those questions for me, I take the meaning of Ronke takes a step back. You you should step back. And I, and I don't, I have to wrestle with this because I don't, I keep moving forward but I, I sense there's this thing where it's like, I'm going to have to silence that voice altogether to get to my next stage. Because that voice is keeping me, that voice and me taking meaning into those questions and comments is keeping me just at 75% of the 100% I should be giving the world. Yeah. I mean, I remember being at the point where you are now. And oh, someone oh, said oh. to me, well, hold on a second. If we take this analogy, you're, you've got a Ferrari. And your friends say, don't drive it. Who are you going to listen to? You own the Ferrari, you've worked hard to get the Ferrari, you've got the keys or the, you know, how to press the button. 
And your friends say, nah, nah, not that calm. It's too flat. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, as soon as you yeah. said, I'm like, ah, I'm going to try that. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, and in a lot of ways, it kind of tunes in a bit to the work that I do, which is that if we were reconnected fully with uh, our great grandparents and our great grandparents and the cultures from which we actually come, mm. we would have an easier understanding of our permission. Uh, position within a community it may well be that you are from a long line of leaders and in moving to another country where the culture doesn't necessarily support that you've lost this connection so the calling is there and you want to hear do it <laughs> but the culture into which you've been born is like oh no we don't do that oh my god this conversation is so because right now i'm feeling just like something has awakened in my spirit because, you know, I was, I was born on British soil. I was born in the East End of London, Hackney, which is now very gentrified. And I remember, you know, I was born, um, we weren't very, we weren't rich at all, we weren't very working class on an estate. But all my life, I've always felt like, not, I'm, I've always felt that I'm not in, inferior. So this whole idea of being less than anybody regardless of wealth, class, race, I've never, gender, I've never quite got that. But I couldn't understand what, even, even to this day, I can't understand like why, it's so weird, because what you've just said has just resonated so deeply, why I don't get that. Why, if someone tries to diminish my value based on my race and my gender, or even my social class, even if I've gone up a social level, you know, technically, I still, I'm still like, mm, and like, I am who I am. I, but I've never been able to identify what it is because my immediate world would never, you know, confirm what it is. So, so I would love, and I've always loved to know. You know, I know my, my grandmother. I really only know my grandmother on both my grandmothers on both sides, not my grandfathers. I would love to know my great grandparents but I I know having met my grandmother from my mum's side a handful of times her presence in my life because she was she was a, a businesswoman in Lagos Nigeria so her presence even just being around her even if even though we don't I don't see her all the time and we're not together just having her and not to diminish my mum <laughs> but just having my grandmother's kind of presence and knowing that she's existed has given me a little bit of that, okay, I know that I am worthy of greatness. However, because of the atmosphere that I've been raised in to kind of, you know, we were poor, I'm supposed to kind of, it, yeah, it almost feels like there's something within me that's telling me I, I am worthy. Because of society I've been brought in and the messages and the, the structure, the social structure, has just made me feel like, okay, it's actually quite exhausting when I think about it now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I mean, you know, it, it was exhausting even as I was kind of going through, sifting through the layers to get, peel back the stories to get to the truth of the story to which I actually belong. That's the story that I was born into. I mean, I was born into in Preston. Now you go up north. Yeah, they're yeah, just yeah, concerned yeah. about the fact that I was born in the house of Lancashire and then I went to school in the house of York. Yeah. Well, I don't even care about the colour of my skin. That's the betrayal. <laughs> but what I found really interesting was I found this book and it was about um, the history of sub-Saharan women. Yeah. And feminism didn't even have to be part of our story because that was something that was brought in by Western women with capitalism and colonialism. We had an equal society, we had a matriarchy up until very recently. Yes. And in that matriarchy, you and I are exceptional leaders, we're just yes. leaders because we're women. And honouring of this aspect of the feminine is part and parcel to so the worst offence that you could give to somebody I discovered was to smack your thighs and it was to show a man remember where you came from there is no place holier and I can put you back there too so traditionally in African culture we don't have this concept of a woman being smaller oh my goodness you know when there's some things you don't you really you know but you don't know why you know you yeah know. well once you hear it it's like yeah. Uh-huh. Of course. Of course. Oh, thank you, Zeese. I mean, I feel like, 
an aunt, a question I didn't realize I needed to ask had just been answered, and it's just like, wow, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but I think this is part of you know how we also connected was this conversation about how do women really support each other? Yeah, how do we? How do we, you know, how do I, in my role, look back at women who are a decade or more mm-hmm. younger than I am and go, listen, this is the bits I figured out here. I'm going to send you a word mm. so you can hang on. You're still going to have to go through some excruciatingly painful experiences on the journey to self-discovery, mm. but here are some hot tips mm. to make it a little bit easier. Mm. You know, I was given some and I was given bits that were useful, Mm. But, you know, I listen to some of the things you say mm. in this moment of transitioning from the last bit to kind of being baby woman self mm. to really full woman self mm. and coming into that leadership. You know, mm. you're successful, you've got a successful mm. business, you're on track. Mm. So now, how do this is how we support each other? I wrote this great um, little quote somewhere yesterday. Uh, uh, if we as women heal, we heal the women who came before us, and we definitely heal the women who come up after us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah. Wow. And I think it's something you know uh, that we all have an opportunity to offer to our community of women as black women in the world of business, you know, your display of confidence and coming here today and speaking Mm. so openly, I hope inspires others to start these kinds of conversations. They're so necessary. They're vital. Aren't they? I didn't even realise. And I think sometimes we spend a lot of time reading the books and watching the shows and listening to things listen to conversations but we we just we just want the um, we want the the quick fix we're not really submerging ourselves in, in the meaning and so sometimes having conversations like this is it, it's so important I feel like we need more conversations like this we need lots of <laughs> okay so sorry you know we've kind of got way deep into this conversation which is brilliant I love it it's like an instant lift off like a helicopter I'd love to just kind of go back to the runway and taxi a little bit into you okay so you work in PR Mm -hmm. what area of PR are you in and how did that come about so I work with small business owners entrepreneurs small business brands um, that tend to be in lifestyle or fast moving consumer goods um, and I manage their reputation, media relations, crisis if it ever comes up, crisis communications and their overall PR strategy. And I've been in business for coming up to about 14-ish years, might be even longer. Um, and when I first started, it wasn't just a PR business. It was a marketing business development PR and business services business. So I was trying to offer lots and lots of services Um, But all under the same similar umbrella, because it's all kind of under marketing, um, because I really wanted people to take me seriously, because I was only, how old was I, 23, 24 when I started? 23, I think. Um, So I, you know, I made myself look really serious, had a really serious business name, serious brands, the brand is completely, wasn't in alignment. And and you know what, the the beauty of recognizing what your your purpose is or at least listening to your truth is when I rebranded I remember rebranding about three or four years ago where I I pulled back and I took away all the other stuff marketing and the business development and it was just PR we branded the logo the name and I could I could I felt like I was breathing it was such a weird I'm not sure if many people would experience it but I felt like that old business that led me to where I I was in my life had died and I got it was so funny I got so many calls when I announced my rebranding people were calling me even people who I rarely ever speak to and first I had 50 50 split some people were really happy oh it's really good congratulations good luck other people were like what are you doing why are you why are you have again this whole conversation about courage like you know standing out and being different you know you've, you're doing your business keep going I was like, no, I have to do this. And, and, and the transformation to my business journey and even just to myself as a woman in business has been immeasurable. I can't describe just 
giving myself, giving my business that new name, a new look. I've made so much more money. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's always a good thing. I'm so much more confident in the kinds of clients I engage with. Um, And there are, there are more opportunities. And now I'm I'm recognizing, I'm really knocking at my door that I'm realizing, Oh, okay. I need to step up to just, you know, really challenging me to be even more authentic and more in alignment with who I really am. So yeah, my business journey has been an interesting one. It's been tough, you know, and as I say, my, my original business died, I should say, and I buried it. My new, my, my new brand rebrand has, is, it was a rebirth, but I almost feel like if I was able to do that for my business, I need to also do that for myself as a personal brand. Mm. And I haven't quite, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I haven't quite got there. I think I'm, I, I'm 75% still. I, 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 keep, I don't know why I keep saying 75 because I don't know how I've been able to measure it. Um, but the people I work with are amazing. I do recognise that I need to shift again slightly because mm. I, I feel in PR, because it is so relationship driven, it can be very exhausting. So I care a lot about my clients. I care a lot about how they're seen, how they engage with their client base. I care about how they're sharing their messages, like, you know, the authenticity of their message. But with that can be, you know, it can be, it can be really draining. And to some degree, I've, I've, I've developed a very thick skin, but there are things that happen along the way with clients and clients' clients and their stakeholders that just really pick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have to, I have to, I've learned to be a lot, of, you know, thick skinned. I've learned to grow up, I should say, but I also recognize there are certain elements that I need to move away from. Cause I just, I, I also feel like I've, I've almost re- reverted to the serious, I am a serious businesswoman now, but I always feel like I have to prove that I'm a serious businesswoman. And I, and I, it gets to the point, it's like, well, how much longer do I have to keep validating my existence? How much longer do I have to keep proving myself to the world? I just am, but I do feel like I'm on this constant, I don't know how to describe it. Like I'm constantly just making sure people are aware that I should be taken seriously. Mm. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, in some regard, because this is ringing big bells for me, uh, <laughs> the, the decade of the 30s, it's really the decade for proving oneself and one feels stuck on that track and then you yeah. kind of get into 40, 42 and you start to ease up and you go, oh, now it's just about acceptance that, that I'm... That sounds so good. <laughs> I'm great at this. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think you can actually tell someone who's in the place where you are you are enough because they can't quite hear it. It's like wind blowing in the middle of the night. It's like, what? That's true. And and that's kind of part of it, isn't it? I think there's so many people go through, not just women, men as well, is, oh, I'm actually, yeah, I'm good at what I do. Yeah. And believing it. And then something different happens. And it's the same as well with this self-care and the well-being of finding that balance where actually my clients are going to value what I offer them more if I really value myself. Mm. One, in terms of knowing I'm great and two, in terms of looking after myself. So, you know, Mm. at a certain point, the phones go off and you can't get hold of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we all know how we feel when we can't get hold of someone. Just for just about nothing. Wow, they must be really good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like that Hermes handbag effect. Yeah, yeah. After if it's like longer than five days, you go, okay, yeah, they're useless. Okay, you know, for a little while, whilst you actually get some sleep and reboot, yeah, and yeah. do all this kind of stuff, absolutely, it gives us the uh, that resilience to handle what it takes, being in contact and putting out so much of oneself mm. in service to others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, know? I mean, you do company PR. I feel like sometimes I do PR of individuals to self. Okay, it's time to show you really on that shine. And then you move really into the fast lane and open up the engines and away you go. Yeah. It's effortless. Absolutely. But it's all of these kind of transitions together. So what a great journey you've been on. And in your business, what's it called? Ariatu PR. Who's here that again? Ariatu. Ariatu. I love that. What does it mean? So that's part of my middle name, which is Shariatu. 
Right. So I just carved it up and created this name, and I love it. I love people asking me what it means because initially, initially, I think people, I thought people were going to ask again the usual thing. Oh, how do you pronounce it? Da, 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 da. But now, now I realise it's just because it's so unusual, and it's the confidence in, in owning that. And you know, I'm not trying to have a very standard easy net you know i wanted something that was me but not too much of me if i decided to, to leave it yeah um yeah so yeah <laughs> and what do you think drew you to pr in the first place that's a really good question actually because when when it came to the rebrand and kind of i ran away from pr for a while so when i first started my business that's why it was the marketing and the business everything um but pr was the one thing that kept calling me and most of the clients, even back then that I had, they weren't really, I mean, they asked, you know, yeah, can you do a marketing campaign and X, Y, Z? But really it was the PR they wanted. They wanted me to address some of the communications needs. They wanted me to address the media relations. They wanted to get into the press. So they, they wanted certain things that initially I, was, I ran away from. And then I was just like, okay, stop running away because this is where the money is and you're good at it. You're very good naturally. Um, but also it's the, I like, I like people. Even if people can be annoying. <laughs> I'm fascinated by human beings, yeah. even if they like, yeah. But so I just feel, I feel like it's, it is, it is some, it's an industry that I should be in, but um, there's a but there. I think it's, as I said earlier, it's, it, it, it takes its toll. It's taken its toll in the sense that it, it can be, it can be quite, it can be a lot yeah, it can be a lot. I mean, I, lo- I love the industry. I love my clients. I love what I do. But it's like, I think it's like even marriage. I'm not married yet. But you can love your other half. But there's certain elements, where you, certain moments where you're just like, what? Who Who are you? What, what's going on? <laughs> Why? Why did I? Well, I feel like that's what it is. <laughs> well, it is that. And understandably so. Because... I think, you know, we get caught up in the fairy tale of love or the yeah. thing that are passionate or our purpose. That's it. Now, how interesting would they be if they didn't challenge us to be better, mm. to reach further, to retire, to, I mean, that's my perspective. That's mm. the way I see it. You know, it's like my partner, I've got to work out stuff with him that I didn't work out with my mum, right? That right yeah I mean there's days when I see him and he's doing stuff like my mum and I'm like oh <laughs> and then there's other days he's doing stuff like my mum and I'm like oh <laughs> and similarly no. with my work I mean the great influences that I got from my mother about presentation of self and focus and discipline and all those other things that were part of work ethic that I was raised with by her, a single mother doing two jobs. Mm. And, you know, it's balancing that, which I, you know, I have a luxurious life compared to what she had to do. Mm. So do I actually need to work as hard as she does? But then when I'm really passionate about a certain thing, I can't help myself. So then I have to look at the other bits. So I think these stories, I mean, I often see it not just with myself, but with my clients, and you're bringing the same thing too, Mm. is the things that really we're drawn to are also going to be the things that press right on that button. It really really does. And then another element is, and you have just said something that just, wow, because, you know, I I was born... We, we were born to, to make do with what we had, very humble. And so now I've managed to create a life for myself that very much as you've described in terms of with your mother, in terms of it is, and I hate to even say it, it's, I hate to actually say it, but it is the truth. It's better than, oh gosh, those words, better than the life that my mother could give herself here in the UK when she arrived. So there is, and maybe this is something about, you know, going into my next chapter, there is this element, it's not, I wouldn't say it's guilt, but this element of, and this is what she would have wanted, obviously, you know, she wants me to be great, but at the same time, it's like, there's this element of, I I don't want her to feel like I'm better than her, and I've got this amazing life because of this business that's doing well. I don't want to outshine 
And I don't know if that, that could probably be this Nigerian, you know, the cultural respect thing or mother-daughter thing, but I always feel like I, I, don't want to sh- I don't want to shove it in her face too much. And it's not because she's done anything she's actually said or anything no. she's done. But there's those moments. And I think it also resonates, I guess, with the relationship with clients and certain experiences where it, it almost feels like, do you know what? Oh, my gosh. Do you know what it feels like? It feels like I should be going through some of those challenges because it's my it, it's it's life's way or my business's way of just keeping me in check mm. because I've grown up to... I, to, to understand that if you want anything in life, you've got to work really hard and it's got to be some element of struggle and there's got to be some element of challenge or suffering. Oh, I don't want to wear suffering, but there's got to be something that just makes you just feel a bit, uh, uh. but at least you'll know by feeling that, uh, that you deserve it. But if it comes too easy, so if, if it's, if it's too smooth and it's too, ah, oh, this is nice. I, I almost feel like it, not that I can't breathe in, I can't step into it, but it's almost like I feel like, oh, I look over my shoulder because I wasn't raised that way. I was raised to know that you have to, with nice things and good things comes an element of element of struggle. I feel, we, I, this is really weird that even as the words are coming out of my, my mouth, I guess because this conversation is so honest and I've never, I've never had this kind of conversation before um, that's been recorded. I feel almost bad admitting that I don't know if that's a guilt and I, and, uh... <laughs> it's, it's amazing isn't it because you know so many women feel my goodness and it's universal and the thing that's really important actually because you're touching on something that's mm. really really quite profound here is what you are talking about is love mm. so that space between happiness and sadness right in the middle mm. Balance between the two is love. Now, a lot of the world will say, you've got to be happy, you've got to strive for being happy. Don't be sad, don't be sad. But if you're only in happiness or only in sadness, you can't exist in these extremes. Mm. Everything that's right in between the space of these polar opposites is love. Mm. And the other thing that you bring to mind, which is also universal, that I see so often with women, and I myself have gone through the same... Uh, struggle is, you know, uh, that every generation is an improvement of the generation that's gone before. Mm. So we have it so much easier than our, par- mm. our parents and they, compared to their grandparents, we can get things with a swipe. They're looking at us like, well, well you couldn't <laughs> swipe the breadfruit tree just to get it. It's you true. had to work hard to go get it. It's true. Sure, it's our degree of working hard compared to, but the bit that you really touched upon here, and this is quite crucial and it's it's what pretty much invades all aspects of what we see in uh, feminism changing gender roles and the struggle of feminism and so on and so forth is the mother wound dare I go better reach further than my mother did because Mm. if I do I will betray her Mm. but if I don't I will betray Mm. her too my goodness, this conversation is like, I don't know what I was expecting, but wow, yeah. That dichotomy. Yeah, it's deep. And we've seen her struggle. We've watched her. We've grown up watching her, you know, do what she's had to do to put us to school, to feed us, to do all the things to get us to where we stand today. Mm. And really honouring her. Mm. It's even touching me. Mm-mm. Really <laughs> honouring her is to say, I see you. And to see you, that means I stay close. And I do as you do. I follow you. Mm. But the mother knows. All she wants is, go past me. Go past me. I struggled so that you could go past me. <sighs> But the, the parent and child never really listen to each other. There's always this disconnect. The parents want the children to just be happy. Yes. <laughs> Please, do whatever you want, just be happy. Oh. And the child is like, what can I do to make mum and dad happy? Oh, well, I'll do everything that doesn't make me happy to make them happy. Oh, and goodness. we're missing the bus all the time. So it's not just you. It's, it's all of us. And a reminder, I think, to ourselves today, reach... Breach, breach. You stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I say to myself every day. You know, it's like 
they, I stand on them so that I have the height to reach to places that, you know, and particularly on this side, on my mother's side, being descended from slavery, I have to remind myself they suffered and died so that I can have an opinion, do a job, live freely, and not act or live or play small. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do what brings you joy. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even the things that bring you joy will make you suffer. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have to look for it, it will be there because that's nature's law, isn't it? Mm, keeping the balance. Keeping the balance. Sure, sure. Got you. That's just yeah. That's so powerful. It is. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I, I'm rambling a bit here, but you brought up so many wonderful things that I think we can all benefit from. I, uh, one of the people who trained me that's blamed this thing about love. So in a loving relationship, we grow love because one partner gives something of love to the other. And the mm. other partner feeling a sense of debt then gives something of love to oh the goodness. other. So they keep in this exchange. Mm. You give a little bit more and each time you give it, and that's how you grow love. Mm. But when someone does something that hurts you, you have to hurt them back, but just a little bit less than they hurt you so that it diminishes and it's neutralized. Mm. Mm. That's a powerful lesson to learn. Actually. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all you actually have to do is think of vengeful thought and it's done. Yeah. You don't yeah. actually have to go out and do the act because just having thought will create an energy of frisson. And actually you've just you've you've given me something here, a gift, because sometimes I wonder whether I'm too nice. Whether I'm too friendly, I've I've had experiences with people who have taken advantage or just been, you know, ruthless or just unnecessarily rude and disrespectful and just blah blah. And you know, every so often I'll be like, you know what, I need to I need to put on I need to develop some kind of alter ego. But again, it's alter ego. I, I have the thought, the idea, and it's like, please, wrong care. Um, and then, just as you have just put it, I can just be like, you know what. I just release this because whatever happens is out of my control. They've done that thing. They've done this thing, X, Y, Z, but I'm still here and I'm still thriving. You know, they're, 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 you know, them being rude to me or disrespectful or not inviting me to something which could have helped my business or whatever, X, Y, Z. Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Because ultimately I'm still here and doing well and I don't have to. And thus what happens is, so that's really interesting. I still maintain a good network and hopefully people have got a good reputation you know if my name comes up my business name comes up people can still trust me and to know that actually I will do what I say I'm going to do and I'm not out to kind of I'm not a vengeful but I do wonder if I ought to be and I wonder it's interesting because I wonder where that comes from again so that conversation about ancestry and great-grandparents and grandparents and just I wonder where that comes, that peace. There's been so many times where I feel like someone's tried to sucker punch me. Mm. But I still have this sense of peace. I don't know what, it's really weird because I do want, there's a little, you know, lioness inside me that wants to go, ah, but I never, I never act on it because I'm just like, why? Things will sort themselves, you know. Because maybe you understand at some level that the energy of the thought transmission yes. is just as powerful. I don't need to do anything. And I don't just, need to do yeah. anything. I just like you said. <laughs> I yeah. put my spear in my hand yeah. and all of a sudden it just still melts away. It does. Right? And, the, and it's it's done. And the love is still there. All the love for you know humanity, which is why I said I, I still like people. I love people, even if people can be annoying. The love is still there, and when somebody hurts me or does something that disappoints me, there is the temptation, and this is just specifically in business, just to. But then I'm like, no, it's okay. Yeah, you don't have to. I don't have to. They will take that. Take and it does though. Always, always. It really does. It's so. It's a weird one because I don't know why. Once, like I said, once in a while, I do feel like I ought to be fighting that, or be more ruthless, or be less nice, not be, not be known for being nice because I wonder if people try to take advantage of me. But at the same time, I have to admit, I have been protected. I have this, I have what I like to describe as a cloak of protection and I can't put my finger on where it comes from, but there are certain things, you know, that happen even in business where a potential client might 
usurp me or what's is that the right word? But they do something and they go to a competitor and I'm like, it's okay. They take, you know, my pitch or whatever and they go and it's okay. And then what happens is I learn something has happened that if I was in that situation, it would have, it would have done, it would have had an impact, a negative impact on me. So I was protected. Yes. <laughs> and I don't have to go and out this client online, former, or, you know, potential client online or whatever. I don't have to, because I'm always protected. Exactly. I mean, and if, if people do plagiarize or copy or take something from you, they can't, you can't steal something and keep it. Yeah. It's like holding a hot piece of coal. Yeah. The conscience itself will be playing yeah. in their own mind, and that itself can run for years. You know? Okay, that's good. It's <laughs> <laughs> good to know. <laughs> so I don't have to turn into a, to a mean... No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> the devil wears Maybe Prada. No, oh. no, 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 no. no. Yeah, people can do that on that. I was... Uh, <laughs> I overheard a conversation and it was in common to uh, something that actually... I think it was these two old Caribbean ladies and they were talking about how... Um, Boris Johnson was upset that the Brexit was like colonialism. And, you know, the other one said, you see, how did it get what did it put out? <laughs> I thought, you know, the elders understand they the principle. It. You don't have to do something. The energy is constantly in some kind of movement, even on, you know, global political scales, right down to the small everyday. And this is it. And I think... I'm going to kind of move into a little, a slightly different space in the sense of when I think about social media, for example, and I love social media, but there's this whole thing of what it's done is it's amplified this idea of, especially as black women, respectability. So kind of, oh, yes, yes, no, sir. Yes, no, free bags, full, sir. And, and in, in the extreme, it's a dragging culture. So kind of outing people and dragging them online because we want to claim our power so vehemently because we need to let the world know that you know you can't mess with black women anymore or, or us women black women anybody who's been seen as under or less than and so I'm caught in this thing of you know I don't necessarily adhere to, adhere to respectability if somebody does me wrong I'm not going to say thank you for doing me wrong but at the same time in that space, that digital space where you get caught up in showing people up and showing people that you have the guts and the courage and the you know, if somebody does you wrong, you have to kind of tweet about it, tag them in everything and let them know, you know, they've done you wrong. And so I observe that energy. It's so interesting because whilst I would never censor anybody, there's freedom, you do what you want to do. But I've realised that I I tend not to veer towards that kind of, I, I steer away from that. But it's the same way as we were talking about, you know, if, if somebody does something wrong in business, should my course of action be go online and out this person but that's a habit that's a space right now where I feel like the young or maybe the younger generation is getting into that they're using the digital space to kind of but that's inferiority if you feel powerful you wouldn't feel the need to go and out somebody in that way it's not trusting that life is intrinsically on your side so we're either born believing the world is a beautiful wonderful place and those who have that belief they live life an abundant life a prosperous mm. life and things come to them easily we all go it's lucky because it happens to them at birth but it's not it's very simple but they have a belief and the belief is grounded in the fact that they are okay and that they are enough those who don't have to grasp and fight for it and they feel and see everything as an enemy out to get them. So what do you think their experience is going to be? That everybody, everything comes out to get them or take something from them and there's no retribution other than to out them, which does what? Mm. Do you think that other person is lying there losing sleep at night? Oh, they said this about me on Twitter or something. <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, as much as we'd like to think that way, it doesn't actually work that way mm. unfortunately and respectability well you know you command respect you don't earn it you can't mm. demand it you either have it and you carry it within yourself and people can tell them then they just give you respect mm. and it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is the height you are what deformities you do or don't have it's an inside job mm. period Mm. I mean, I've found myself in life in places that people would think were, which were exceptional or unusual mm -hmm. for uh, a black woman to be in. 
Mm. But because I carried no concept ever that there was anything shut off to me, my mother mm. then raised me. She said, you can do anything. Mm. Anything is possible. I'd be like, yeah, but a five-year-old can't pick up a car, can they? And she said, well, we'll see. And she said, <laughs> okay, let's tidy up your toys. And we tidy up the toys and I put them in my box and she'd bring the box over and she'd say, so... How many cars did you put in that box? And I'd be like, oh, she's <laughs> oh. But it, it sent a message. Mm. And, and so I always had that belief. I've got 50 quid in my pocket and it cost me 20 quid to get there. But when I get there, something lucky is going to happen and I'll be okay. I've mm. always gone through life. And so life delivers that way. Mm. So these uh, patterns of behavior again pass one person does it we don't know their motive and then people follow yeah, and repeat that behavior and it may or may not have good results but if you're antagonized and you respond by being antagonized you're going to end up in a war Gosh. but if you look at the countries or the cultures that are invincible that you know you look at africa Colonialism lasted for a very short period of time there. Same in China, same in South America. Now, these are countries that are very feminine in their energy. They cannot be conquered because they're so soft. They lean so far back, the people, or appease so easily. The, the perpetrators fall right over them, and they can't control it. They can't grasp it. They can't manipulate it. And in the end, they have to pack up and leave because they've spent so much money and used up so many resources trying to control something that is not tangible but do you feel do you feel so that's a really good i love the example of colonialism across africa but it was in africa the shortest amount of time out of anywhere else but then of all the countries across the continent and of all the countries the legacy has had an impact and some would argue and this is something that i some would say <clears throat> that there, the, 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 the fact, even, even okay, it was the shortest period of, of time, but at the same time, the legacy has lasted so long. Yeah. And it could be, so then what, what does that mean? Is it because the population, the populace of these nations across Africa, they didn't have a fighting spirit? Is it because they were passive? Is it because why, for example, is, is the legacy still there? So trauma. should they have, okay, the trauma. So this is the, the next question. Should they have... In the same way, I'm, we're saying we shouldn't fighting or being antagonistic back isn't necessarily the answer. But if you don't fight, don't you end up being, don't you end up carrying the weight of that trauma? I suppose that's the question I'm asking. Do you not end up whether you fight or don't fight? There's going to be a trauma, right? Okay. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, I'm not saying don't fight, as in don't be aggressive. Sometimes it is it's, it, it's necessary. Yeah. Right, sometimes Let's get it's there. necessary. Okay. But if you look, for example, at some martial arts, mm. the ones that are the most powerful, and I had recently a lady talking about Aikido, and this is something mm-hmm. that I call bamboo, which is mm-hmm. really powerful because of its flexibility. The most powerful force on earth is water. It can wear down stone, it can put out fires, it can decimate a nation with one tidal wave. Not even fire is as powerful as that because water can put out fire. It's this flexibility. Water is very, in Japanese or uh, Chinese culture, very yin. It's very feminine. You can't grasp it or hold it. Mountains are Mm. yang. Mm. Invincible. You can keep butting up again. You might chip off some rocks. Mm. You're not actually going to change its form. So it doesn't act. It's strong, but it's quite fixed. But what we're looking at post-colonialism, post-slavery, both sides, Mm-hmm. even for those who remained in Africa, is trauma. Mm-hmm. Trauma of separation, trauma of loss of families who just disappeared in mm-hmm. the night and were never seen mm-hmm. again. But then the next trauma of those who came from the Caribbean mm-hmm. and they came on boats, they left families there. Mm-hmm. And then what most migrants, immigrants, or what, for whatever reason they were bought or shifted, tend to have shut down. And act like it didn't happen. We've got to get on. We've got to make good. You've got to be more English than the English. You've got to be Ooh. right. Assimilation, <laughs> the adaptation in order to survive. 
but the trauma is still there bubbling beneath the surface. And we all know, we all see it, because it's still possible to run the narrative of black people being less than, mm. which is how they were controlled in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? So they're still in a kind of mental slavery. But if the best rebellion or reaction would be to go, no, I'm not, and you can't keep me down. You don't have to forcefully say it. You think it, you act it, you believe it. People start treating you differently. Mm. Mm. The, the racism is, is a result of profound inferiority and insecurity. Mm. You don't want to go and oppress someone and push them down and make them feel bad about themselves and tell them everything they think and believe is rubbish mm. unless you feel that way about yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uplifted people wow. uplift other people. Mm. Mm. So it's the trauma is the residual inferiority that says that the West is better and the white man will come and they'll give us charity and they'll give us aid and we'll do better. Mm. So, I mean, they're complex because of their systemic, it's collective trauma. But the trauma exists not only for the victims, it exists for the perpetrators. Mm. And that's the bit we miss. As much as... Uh, you know, in East Africa, we have this thing, Ubuntu, if I suffer, you suffer. If you suffer, I suffer too. Mm. And, 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 and this is it. And I guess I'm bringing it all the way back on an individual level and kind of going back to that idea of, oh, do I need to be more ruthless? Da, 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 da. Actually, I don't need to carry that, that tra- even though I'm traumatised by the experience, I don't have to, to treat people, it's pretty basic actually, treat people the way I've been treated. In order no, to don't. flourish. I mean, what we've got is, sure, we are from a continent of ferocious warriors. Yes, and this is I it. Mean, look at your tweet, boy, I would not want to mess with one of those. <laughs> but you see when they use that energy academically. But you see, and I think this is this is where we, we look at, and this is where being a woman in business, and you look at the system, we're in a capitalist society and world. What we see, however, is with all this is being said and done, the, the most successful people seem to be the meanest. So when we talk about even even the kind of colonialism, the history, but even just in business, in corporate, it always seems, and I'm not saying that's necessarily the truth, but it seems it's the narrative that's pushed. The toughest people who have the power, the leaders, even in this world as we speak, seem to come across as being narcissistic, mean, uncaring, you know, they might do enough to show that they care in the sense of, yeah, we want a civil society, but they're not very nice. Well, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're traumatised individuals, right? And those, you remember how I was talking earlier about a trauma finds is a match in another trauma. If you've got a lot of traumatised people, they're going to use, pick a traumatised leader to follow. Mm. So trauma is giving power to trauma. There are plenty of people who don't vote because like that's a tra- mm. that's my teacher. No, don't want anything. And they're very successful, but we don't hear about them because that's not held up as an ideal. And then again, we've got to look at how we are measuring success. Success as I see it, well-being, good health, your children are flourishing, you have a happy, stable home life in partnership, loving, committed relationship with another human being. Mm. And you are doing a job that you love Mm. and you enjoy and you are getting paid for it. Right? That's success. Mm. Now, there are only really, truly about eight men on the planet who fall into that category of truly successful. No one knows who they are. They're just referred (laughs) to as the Yang Eight. Wow. Right? And that's because they grew up in, like, these perfect, ideal, stable relationships. Both their parents were together and stayed together, and they're, therefore they're really conscientious. They work really hard. They have an ability to be ruthless, perhaps, in a way, because they're not attached mm. emotionally. Mm. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's a good distinction. Which is a different thing. Yeah, that's a good that's a good Because we've got to remember we're projecting our stories onto other people. Yeah. When we see ruthless, we're seeing something, oh yeah. They don't like me. Yeah. Maybe but me. it's got nothing to do with you. They're just doing their yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Got that. Got so that. I think we have to be careful how we measure success because there are a lot of very, very successful people who don't have 
uh, what's considered a heap of money in the bank. Most people go on about the 1%, not realising that they are in the 1%. It's £28,000 per annum to be in the 1% of wealthy people in the planet. My goodness. When you put it like that, <laughs> it's like, oh, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because they'll have you thinking you've got to have billions. Yes. Do you know? And most people go in and out of it all the time. A lot of people are in it for the most part, because if you look at the amount of money that's required to live in London, you're in it. You're in it, right? But this is it, and I think it's kind of... And that's another thing when, it, when, I, when I look at the journey of my business, it's... And again, kind of this is a really good conversation, because when we were talking about me standing outside from the herd, so away from the flock... People now are kind of, I've had little conversations. Oh, Ron Kess, start an agency. Oh, you know, when are you going to create, when are you going to make, and what by agency they mean, when are you going to make Ariatu even bigger, you know, employ lots of people and have this huge office. And, and this is this thing in me. I'm like, I can't work out if, it's, if I'm denying myself that because I don't think I'm good enough, which I don't think that's the case, but I'm not sure. Or I'm really, I am actually happy as a, as me, do, providing a service and being me providing a service and not doing the thing that everybody's expecting me to do, which is level up even more. But I'm, you know, I'm making decent money and I, and I, and I, you know, I, 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 I spend my money in a way that, you know, I support other small businesses and I'm, 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 I'm conscientious and I'm, and I'm, I'm free. I feel like I'm free, but at the same time, I'm wondering whether because my vision of success has changed over the years, whereas when I was, you know, when I was 10 in that, in that two bed council flat, I, I was dreaming of being a millionaire and I could still be, a, I could still be a millionaire. I don't think there's anything wrong with that ideal, but at the moment, the idea of success is shifting and I can't work out. And so your definition is such a beautiful one because I couldn't work out whether I'm doing my, I'm, I'm diminishing myself by kind of saying, you know what, I'm happy. I've got a really, you know, I'm in a great relationship. I'm happy where I am in terms of um, life, friendship circles. You know, I managed to get my foot on the ladder and the property ladder in London just about. So all of these things are happy, but they're not, they're not up there yet. I'm just not. <sighs> <laughs> And I totally understand. And it's a decision you have to make because it, the happiness that you feel is something to be really valued and treasured. And we're, you know, I see out there this push for more women in the boardroom yeah. or more women entrepreneurs or whatever. But what is required to get to the boardroom and get to those uh, positions, whether it's as a black woman, an Asian woman, or as a woman, period. Mm -hmm. When it's, we're forgetting that we're human beings. We have different hormones and therefore different desires, needs, and skills and abilities. Mm -hmm. And men are still with their primitive minds go out hunting four days to bring mm. back food mm -hmm. and that requires a certain degree of fitness and focus and uh, ferocity and mm. aggression and ruthlessness to survive out there in order mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. Women are kind of designed to, you know, work with these human beings that don't have the capacity to speak for about four years. <laughs> you have to be quite agreeable, mm -hmm. great kind of negotiating mm -hmm. skills that are quite nurturing, mm -hmm. kind of the antithesis of what is required out there. So often when we see women who've gone to those boardrooms, they've had to really step up into the masculine mm -hmm. part of themselves in mm -hmm. order to do so. Nothing wrong with doing that. Mm -hmm. But when you but create an imbalance in your thinking and your bodily functions. Humans tend not to be so happy. Mm. It's the same as if we keep on emasculating men and getting them to be more like women in order to make us feel comfortable. We'll lose the very genetic information that allows life to continue. Mm. So we have to be a little conscious. When you say you're happy... It may well be you can go to another level, you can expand mm. more and still be happy. Mm. You'll know when it's time, as yeah. we all do. Yeah. 
but we forget to oh, wow right now things are really good see i don't i don't give myself the opportunity to just literally say that and just be like oh <laughs> so how about because we're kind of out of time we end this conversation with you saying oh that. yeah things are really really good why does it why was that a bit challenging to admit <laughs> I don't know, but how does it feel when you... Oh, it feels nice. It feels like... And you know what? The Ultimately, it feels like I'm free. I'm free. There's a freedom just to admit that, in admitting that things are good. I am where I'm supposed to be. Well, I'm really happy where you're supposed to be because I'm glad that you're being where you are has brought you here. And Thank I got to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Conversations with Ourselves. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Ronka and myself, Zita. If you have any questions or you'd like to leave us a message, give us feedback in the feedback comment below, or you can contact me, Zita, through the website www.lifetherapywithzita.com. I hope you'll join us for the next episode or listen to some of the ones you haven't listened to yet. And I hope you'll enjoy many wonderful conversations of your own. Thank you. Bye-bye.